Welcome to our Transgender School podcast. We're here to talk about diverse transgender identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates. We'll also discuss current events, welcome guests, and share actions you can take to support trans people. I'm Bridget, and my daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman about four years ago when she was 19 years old. I was totally unprepared, but I have learned a lot since then. And now Jackie and I are passionate about sharing what we've learned. When I came to terms with being trans, I realized that I absolutely needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now that a few years have passed, things have gotten somewhat easier, and I want to help other trans people navigate their own unique experiences. Welcome to episode 21 of the Transgender School podcast. We're happy to be back with you. And we thought we would start out by introducing ourselves a little bit because 21 episodes in, some folks might be listening to single episodes and might not have heard some of our earlier episodes where we tell our story. So Jackie, why don't you go ahead and give the brief intro of yourself? (laughs) Hi, everyone. I'm Jackie. I am a 25-year-old trans woman living in San Francisco. I came out to my friend's family and uh, first my mother when I was 19 years old. And we have uh, done a lot of work to share that story, share the mistakes that um, were made along that journey and how we've all learned from it and how we hope that our story can help other uh, trans kids have a little bit easier experience coming out. Yeah, exactly. So it's about five and a half years now that it's been, and I've learned more, I think, than any other period in my life during this time from you and from reading and support groups and other parents and other families and the professionals. And so I'm very thankful for the journey and I'm very thankful to be able to share it and to be able to impact other people's lives. So I'm Jackie's mom, obviously, (laughs) always have been. And so, yeah, when Jackie came out at 19, we were all shocked. We felt we had no signs. We didn't know how to respond and we made a lot of mistakes and we started to learn and figure things out and with Jackie's help and forgiveness and support and Jackie's, you know, willingness to help us understand, even though she shouldn't have had to do that, you know, we should have been more educated before uh, we all made it through and we've done a lot of, a lot to repair that and to learn and grow. And it's been quite the journey. So that's what we're here sharing on the podcast. If you're just listening for the first time, we hope that you'll go back and listen to all of our other episodes. <laughs> and for those of you who've been with us all this time, we are so grateful and so thankful. And the numbers say that you are definitely sharing this and passing this on. We're really, really happy with how many people are listening and watching. And we thank you so, so much for following. And since we're on the subject, Jackie, you want to tell them about our our products? <laughs> yeah. So you can find us at transgenderschool.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm probably missing one or two, but those are the main social media platforms. And we have a lot of great resources. We're also on Patreon for early access and exclusive content. And we put out a podcast, which of course you're listening to right now. So lots of great content, lots of great links to specific organizations throughout the country that provide resources for trans people and lots of other helpful things. Yeah. And wherever you are watching or listening right now, if you're watching on YouTube, just go to the description below. If you're listening on any of the podcast apps, just go to the show notes. All of our links are there. And if you want to support us with a very small amount of money for 
for some people, not everybody, but if, it, if it's a small amount of money for you, we do have two ways that you can support us financially, which is, as Jackie said, our Patreon and our Vimeo video. So transgender school, patreon.com slash transgender school, and then vimeo.com. I think it's slash trans ally, but just go look for the link and you can watch our 90 minute how to be an ally to trans for trans people video, which we put a lot of work into, which is only $10. And we share half of that with our support group, Transforming Family. And our Patreon membership is only $5 a month that we put new content in there regularly. So we will now move on to the topic for the day. And I'm, I'm really especially looking forward to this because I always learn from Jackie. Jackie is going to take the lead and I'm going to pop in and ask questions. But we're going to talk about the political landscape as it relates to LGBTQ rights and a variety of civil rights and their connections. And I consider, she probably doesn't want me to say a lot about it, but I consider Jackie one of the most well-informed, knowledgeable experts that I know in the world of politics. And so she's going to really educate us. And I'm just going to sit back and let her do that and pop in to ask questions as I need clarification as she shares with us what she's going to share today. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this. I hope you'll share it with people. And thanks for being here. So, Jackie, thank you, you, everyone. And before we get started, I am going to very quickly remove one of my cats from the room so that we don't experience the audio of them fighting each other. Um, we should just we can we can just leave this in because this is real life stuff. We don't have, we don't even have to edit this out. This is the real okay, us. Well. Jackie's got two cats that fight, and look at how she's you know trying to to mediate that. In the midst the, of the doing cats, the podcast, <laughs> the cats um, are more committed to uh, running away from me than they are committed to stopping this fight. So they are both <laughs> under the bed. And apologies in advance if you hear cat fighting noises. No worries. The podcast this is, this with is real life, real life stuff here. So we'll deal with it as it happens. But yeah. So with that said, we're going to talk about some pretty heavy topics today. So just a warning in advance that if listening to very detailed descriptions about the state of trans rights, the state of other bodily autonomy in the country and listening to us talk about the ways in which those things are all headed in the wrong direction is going to you know, be a little bit much for you. Feel free to tune out of this one. But I think for those of you who are down for it, we have some good informative content and some good, hopefully, action items that we can all take to try to try to get this trend going the other way. Or, you know, there's some there's some big inflection points coming up with elections. So I think we are, you know, cautiously optimistic that things could could head in a better direction. So I think the bottom line of today's episode, we're gonna be totally upfront about it. You can tune out when you hear this, or you can keep an open mind, is that Republic, the Republican Party in the United States is pretty intent on controlling the bodies of anyone who is not a straight white man, particularly trans people, queer people, people of color. And they are particularly concerned about controlling our lives by controlling our bodies. And they are, frankly, trying to turn the clock back on history and on progress that was made in establishing various civil rights as far as they can really seems to be the trend at this point. So as many of you, most of you probably know, on June 24th, the Supreme Court rolled back abortion rights by a six to three vote. I use the word vote intentionally there because I don't think the court really makes defensible legal decisions anymore. I think they vote on political issues just like Congress and other legislative bodies 
but they have lifetime appointments. So in the age, or in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the case stemmed from Mississippi's Gestational Age Act, which banned any abortion operation after the first 15 weeks of pregnancy, which is an incredibly early threshold that basically makes abortion inaccessible to most people. So it's important to note that the anti-abortion movement is part of a larger conservative ideology in the United States, one that is increasingly losing relevance and is not shared by a majority of Americans, but is fiercely clinging to political power through anti-democratic institutions like the Senate and the Electoral College, as we have seen in recent presidential and Senate elections. The next steps in that movement, as outlined by Justice Thomas in his concurring opinion uh, in Dobbs, are to overturn several cases, including Griswold versus Connecticut, which established a right to purchase contraception, Oberfell versus Hodges, which established a right to marry for same-sex couples, and Lawrence versus Texas, which ruled that criminalizing homosexuality is illegal. So that is, um, you know, with a six to three conservative Supreme Court, all very much on the table at this point. In 2021, legislatures in 22 states introduced bills to ban best practice medical care for transgender youth, and over 15 states have already passed laws banning or restricting life-saving medical care for trans youth. I just want to step in and say I, I strongly encourage people to go back to our episode 17, which is about anti-trans legislation, because it goes into much more depth about why this legislation is so harmful and so based on completely flawed, faulty arguments and evidence that that is not even in any way, shape or form true. So I just wanted to put that in there. Was was that our interview with Dr. Olson? No, no. The the So remember we did an episode, just you and me, completely on anti-trans legislation. I would recommend both then. I would recommend that okay, and our yes. interview with, with Dr. Yes. Johanna Olson Kennedy. Yes. Um, and I don't I remember which both. one that was, but we'll, number, we'll but yes. track it down. To, we can link it, link it in the yes. description. We'll link too, it. Look but, down um, below. Yes. Both of those. Yeah. We fill in what Jackie's talking about more and why it's so harmful. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's important to note that we've we've gone in a fair amount of depth on this legislation, exactly how harmful it is, and that it really is a life or death matter for for so many trans kids. And so these Republican legislatures, you know, they they have blood on their hands already. And that is that is an inevitable reality of these kinds of policies. So, yeah, 2021, we had 22 new bills to ban trans health care for youth. Over 15 states already have laws on the book. Similarly, 26 states either already have or are certain or likely to ban abortion now that Roe v. Wade is overturned. I think it's important to ground ourselves, for lack of a better word, I guess, in, in the fact that, again, these are not views that are shared by a majority of people who live in America and vote, but these are views that are shared by a very conservative, increasingly radical minority of voters who unfortunately have disproportionate electoral power due to their geographic distribution in the country and the nature of institutions like the Senate and the Electoral College. So I just want to jump in and say, I mean, it's probably obvious, but Jackie and I want to state that we're, we're solidly pro-choice. And I've gotten some hate mail because of that, because we, it came up just briefly in another episode. And, you know, some folks felt 
felt the need to write into me and say that they had been supporting us and they believe in trans rights. But since we're, since we had seemed to publicly state that we're pro-choice, you know, they got really, really nasty. So please don't write to us. We're, you know, that's fine. If that's your opinion, you're not going to change our Thornhill, opinion. Jackie Thornhill, oh, no, 97, <laughs> all one word, J-A-C-K-I-E-T-H-O-R-N-H-I-L-L-97 at gmail.com. Send me an email with your thoughts. Um, I would be glad to dialogue. I do it all day with constituents. Uh, You will not phase me. I hate to break it to you, but we want to, I mean, we want to be perfectly clear. Don't waste your time, Jackie. Don't, I specifically did not forward you those emails because I didn't want you to waste your time. And that's what you can do that. Now you have, I'll only respond to you if I feel like it, but you know, email me if you want. But but just know, you know, let's respectfully agree to disagree and not get nasty if there are people out there in that camp. All right, continue, please, Jackie. Um, I think it's important to note that, again, I mean, really, it would be hypocritical, in my opinion, for us as trans advocates to advocate for one group of people to have autonomy over their own bodies and to then not advocate for, um, you know, another overlapping group of people to have autonomy over their own bodies. I think... Agreed. We can agree to disagree with some folks who might be listening or might be tuning out at this particular moment. But I, I just urge you to consider that really this is a matter of uh, controlling people's bodies. It's a matter of the kind of the kind of country that we want to be. And that's as simple as that. And I think, again, to tie this back to the fact that if you do disagree with us, important to remember you are Unfortunately, in the minority, um, fortunately for you, you have disproportionate power because of the Electoral College and the Senate. But those are really not good enough for the modern Republican Party. They have realized that they are losing the long term battle, which is why they have now basically for a long time. They were not super committed to democracy. They were they wanted specific groups of people to vote. You know, this has been this goes back to the Southern strategy and voter suppression. And there's a long history there that we could get into. But The bottom line is Republicans do not want to make it easy to vote. They've been clear about that for a while. And they've now moved into a space of not really caring if you vote and not really caring who you voted for and just wanting to get the result that they want. There are 27 secretary of state races. Those are the offices that will pretty much determine whether state by state election results are validated and certified or not. And of those 27 secretary of state races happening across the country this year, 10 of them are competitive and 10 of them lean Republican. And the majority of the Republican candidates running for those offices support Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. All it would take in 2024 is one secretary of state in one swing state who is loyal to Trump, loyal to the Republican Party and not to democracy to take us to a place that we've already been sliding into, particularly with the 2000 election, but, but really solidify that idea that, that democracy is for show in the United States. And so I, I think that would be, hopefully that doesn't happen, but that would be a big turning point. And, and unfortunately, if that did happen, we would see these rights continue to erode across the country. And we would really solidify this, this status quo that I've, I've talked about on this show before, where we have two countries, um, one where you have a right to an education, to autonomy over your body, um, to love who you love, and one where you don't. And I think, again, I just cannot highlight enough just how radical the Republican Party is becoming. QAnon, which you may or may not know what QAnon is, to, to sum it up in a real tight nutshell, it's it's the belief that a basically satanic worshiping cabal of 
child blood drinking elites are running the world. And 15% of Americans, according to fairly reliable polling, actually believe that. And 15% of Americans actually feel that, quote, patriots may have to resort to violence, unquote, to restore the country's rightful order, and that the levers of power are being controlled by a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles. 20% of Americans believe that a biblical-scale storm will soon sweep away evil elites and, quote, restore the rightful leaders, unquote. And this is the scariest one, in my opinion, because this is this shows the descent into authoritarianism is that 55% of Republicans refuse to reject these claims outright. And that's why you see the scary candidates that you do winning Republican primaries for legislative seats, for secretary of state seats, for county level seats that administer local elections across the country. Um, And and not only these statistics are chilling, but I want to point out, it's not only like crazy people out there, citizens, these are people in our government, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who actually believe these things as well. And I think we're, I think we're going to learn a lot more. We may have already learned a lot more by the time this podcast comes out about just how involved elected officials were in the, in the effort to violently overturn the results of the 2020 election on January 6th. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that there should be real conversations that happen and real uh, reflection that happens within the Republican Party as a result of that. And I'm, I'm afraid that it will not and that they will double down on these lies and double down on these conspiracies because that's how politics works. You're accountable to your base. So again, mm-hmm. hate to say it in such dire terms, but having studied political science and worked in government, I have a hard time seeing it as anything else than the slow descent into authoritarianism and a really more conservative place than we have been in a long time as a country. Countries with the strictest laws prohibiting reproductive and LGBTQ rights are also some of the most authoritarian in the world. That's that's why we're talking about this. Um, This is all very related. And we are unfortunately now up there with the worst of them. For example, Alabama's abortion laws are now literally more strict than Saudi Arabia's. So that that is where we are as a country. What can you do about that? You can actually get involved in these legal fights that are happening by supporting the organizations that are fighting for preserving civil rights and for opposing these efforts. You, you could donate to the Transgender Law Center, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, the National Network of Abortion Funds are all great organizations. And I know there are a lot of other great organizations out there doing important work to really try to resist this, this just sort of creeping authoritarianism. And really, I've said this before, but I will, I will keep saying it because we're here to try to help trans people and the thing that you can do that will help trans people the most in addition to donating to those organizations and volunteering to support them is to organize at a local and state level. Do you know who your state representatives are? Did you vote in the state election? Did you campaign in the state election? Did you volunteer? Did you make calls? Did you knock doors? If you have the privilege of the time and the energy to do those things, if you have the privilege of organizing your friends and the time and energy to organize them around these issues and in favor of candidates who support trans rights and support bodily autonomy, then the window is rapidly closing to do so because we may not be able to take free and fair elections for granted. I mean, we, we can't take free and fair elections for granted anymore. And so we have to really, really double our efforts to, to fight this. Um, and I, I wish I had a better, <laughs> I wish I had a more optimistic take. I don't, I don't think it's all pessimistic. I, I think that there is, 
there is a path forward where we we took some steps forward. We've taken some serious steps back. We're, we're in an interesting place, and and there's a path forward where we get out of this. But there's also there's also a path where it gets a lot worse. And I think it's up to us to determine which of those we head down. Do you think that the Supreme Court is going to? You know, there's a lot of speculation that now that they, you know, overturned Roe v. Wade, that that same gender marriage may be next, that birth control may be next. What what do you think about these predictions and claims? I wouldn't be surprised to see that. There's an interesting political calculus that will happen, you know, within the Supreme Court and the Republican Party about which one to go after first. To Do we go after contraception first? Mm-hmm. Do we go after gay marriage? Um, you know, in some ways, going after contraception would almost be, I don't know, I It's hard to say which will come next, but something will come next. As long as Republicans control the Supreme Court, as long as they control the levers of government in this way, as long as they control so many state legislatures, there will continue to be a further erosion of civil rights because they have this toxic relationship where the the Republicans in the state legislature pass the bill that pushes the envelope and is clearly unconstitutional under current precedent, but then they punt the ball to the Republican Supreme Court, who is accountable to the same base and who honestly hold those beliefs. And that Supreme Court is going to uphold that unconstitutional law. And that's that's where we find ourselves. And so it's hard to say exactly what the limits are of this court. This court could change. You know, we could have another Republican president. There could be new appointees who are even more conservative. The court could move even further in the conservative direction. There's a lot of different eventualities, but I I would not be surprised to see all three of those cases, you know, abortion, or sorry, not abortion, but contraception, criminalizing homosexuality and, and gay marriage. I would not be surprised to see those all go away in my lifetime. We might see them go away and come back. We might see them go away and never come back. I, I think that's really how up in the air things are with, with American politics and democracy right now. Yeah. And what do you think about, so this issue of the two different Americas, I know you've described that very well in conversations we've had. And one of the things I worry about and see is that people in like us in states like California can be complacent because it's like, well, it's not going to affect me, right? But help people see this, this affects all of us, the whole country, even though you may feel safe in your state. I mean, what would you say to that? kind of thinking. I think I'll, gi- I'll give away who I voted for in the 2016 primary with this answer, but I, I think we need a Democratic Party that speaks to uh, working class people across the country. I think the Democratic Party has failed to address the very legitimate, very real uh, economic anxieties of people. And I think those economic anxieties have been taken advantage of when people don't feel that they're getting that, that slice of the American dream that they know they deserve then they're going to be a lot more susceptible to fear and hate-based politics. And I, I actually, before we did this, I was making, I realize now we're on a podcast, so most people would not necessarily be able to see it, but um, I will we'll post it on our social media. I, I went mm-hmm. ahead and took three different maps and I synced up the color codes in Photoshop because so, the color coding was different so that you can look at them all and kind of see the, the same colors representing the same trends. And one map is state by state, the abortion rights laws, and basically the greener the state is, 
the more abortion rights and the redder the state is, the less abortion rights with completely red states having no legal access to abortion right now. Then I did the same color coding for maps that were already made using existing most recent data, did one for trans rights and one for the percentage of residents in each state with a master's degree. And they weren't exactly the same map, but they were largely the same map. And I, I think that, again, that, that speaks to the relationship between these issues of bodily autonomy, these issues of dragging us back into a more conservative place when economic mobility was higher and generally older white people and white and people who are working class who are aggrieved who feel that, you know, they, they didn't, they never got that slice. And now they want to go back to a time when they felt like life was easier for them. You know, there's that saying about, um, if you're used to privilege and equality feels like oppression. And I think there's, there's that. And there's the very real economic realities that the Democratic Party has failed to speak to, failed to address. Um, and, and I think that that, that reflects in the education trends across the country, that reflects in property values and median incomes and in political ideologies. And it's, it's not all a perfect circle, but the, the Venn diagram is pretty tight. It, it overlaps a lot, yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, we'll put um, a link into the maps. I'm looking at the maps right now and it's pretty striking what you're saying, Jackie. And the, 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 the thing that's so sad to me, among many things that are so sad, is that the people who that are in the most dire situations, for some reason, they're believing the rhetoric of the Republican Party when that's the very party that is out for wealthy people, is looking out for wealthy people. That's not, why did so many, you know, lower income, uneducated people vote for Trump and still support Trump when he's a billionaire who couldn't care less and doesn't have a single policy that he can speak to that actually helps poor people? Like, how did, they, somehow they, they were brilliant the trump campaign were brilliant in brainwashing and convincing you know this segment of the population that that this this narcissistic crazy evil you know billionaire was the one who was going to care about them and create policies that help them make their way up the ladder of wealth in the US like that doesn't make any sense to me it didn't happen it's not going to happen like how are these supporters still believing this i think again you know all, all the democrats who stuck around and are, are with us on a lot of the abortion and issues we're talking about this is a hard thing to hear but i mean you know it's, it's real in that when you have two major political parties and both of them primarily serve rich people, then working class people, people who are not wealthy, who are really aggrieved with the system, many of whom hadn't voted in a long time and then came out and voted for Trump and are now this part of this new base, they're, they're not going to have any reason to believe either party. And they're only going to go with the party that says the things that check the right boxes in their head. So mm -hmm. if they think that the country has been changing too much, and if they think that gay people are have too many rights and trans people have too many rights and people of color have too many rights and too much equality and too much equity, then they're going to want to vote for the party that speaks to that racism, that anxiety, that internalized hatred and homophobia and transphobia. And so it doesn't matter what the parties actually do. One party is speaking to Americans with certain values. One party is speaking to Americans with other values. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if they're both ultimately serving the, maybe not Satan worshiping, but the economic elite, then it's, it's going to be 
hard to convince people that they should care whether people have bodily autonomy. It's going to be hard to convince people that they should support the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to lead by example. I think that, you know, we have to not give Republicans the talking point of look at San Francisco where businesses are leaving and people are homeless on the streets and that's what a democratic run city looks like and look like LA where look at LA. So what would you say to that? How, how can we have to lead? We have to lead by example. We need democratic politicians who are willing to stand up to the people who've been funding the democratic and Republican parties for years, who are willing to run more populist campaigns, who are willing to speak to the very real issues, the very real systemic economic issues that need to change. You know, we need Mm -hmm. more Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders style Democrats. I mean, that's, that's the best answer that I have. And that comes from grassroots organizing that comes from, from people who understand this and people who, who feel a responsibility to, to try to prevent this, this tide of conservatism that comes from us stepping up and and putting in the work. Mm -hmm. Can you speak at all to even in any way, a a global perspective? Cause we do have a lot of people listening in other countries and we're very, what I see, this is not just happening in the U S there's a tide that's, you know, turning in other parts of the world, surprisingly that you wouldn't, we wouldn't even think would go in this kind of direction. So do you see that? What, why do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think this is absolutely a global trend. There are political leaders around the world who are, who are capitalizing on xenophobia and economic anxiety and all sorts mm-hmm. of other things to channel those fears into, you know, anti-LGBT and anti-civil mm-hmm. rights policies and a variety of issues. You seen it in Europe, you've seen it in mm-hmm. so many different parts of the world lately. And I, I think that it's partly like, I don't know, humanity goes through these cycles. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, history in many ways repeats itself. Mm-hmm. I hope that we can learn from those lessons to some degree. And I hope that we can do a little bit better this time, at least. But it's hard to see, because I think, again, tying it to the economic reality, we have a world where capital can freely move around the world. (laughs) And for people who have access to capital, they've manipulated the rules of international trade and various governments to benefit themselves. Uh, But people can't move freely around the world. So workers are screwed. People who have access to capital are doing great. And I I don't, you know, that power dynamic is going to have to change. So this also, you know, it's not necessarily, people might not think of the decline in union membership and the decline of economic mobility and things like that in the United States as inherently tied to these reactionary politics. Uh, but in many ways, I, th- I think that's exactly what's driving it. And I think that you see that trend around the world where mm-hmm. um, people, people see lots of other people getting rich and they feel like they're not getting their share and they're willing to, you know, give in to authoritarian politicians who say, I'll fix it. You're the forgotten people. I alone can do it, you know, and who speak mm-hmm. their language, who, who speak to their, to their anxieties and their insecurities and their, and their hatred. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It makes sense. It's just hard to swallow, you know, it's like, because you, because you know that these people are putting their trust in parties and politicians that have could not care less about them in reality you know so but thank you for clarifying that 
Jackie, anything else that you wanted to share that has not come up? And hopefully everyone can see the connections between, you know, this is transgender school and we are talking about civil rights, human rights for all people and the connection. I, I, I really like how you framed it around bodily autonomy. You know, I hope we hope that you can see the connection between all of these. And I firmly believe that you cannot support conservative policies and Republican policies and be really supporting the LGBTQ community or women or people of color. Like, I don't, I just don't see a world where those two things can be reconciled or those, those belief systems can be reconciled. So we may lose some people based on being very upfront about that, but it's more important to us to have an impact and turn things in, I mean, in the right direction, as Jackie I said. Will, I will say, I think, I don't want to, you know, we've probably lost a lot of people who <laughs> would appreciate this point by now, but I, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush. Like, I don't want to say that the Republican Party is always going to be terrible and authoritarian. And I think, th- I, I think we as Democrats and progressives and liberals and whatever we identify as should actually want a Republican Party that more conservative than us, but is not outright authoritarian mm-hmm. and not like outright anti-trans and outright anti-LGBT. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know if that's really possible. I don't know if there's really a constituency for that in the United States. I think the Republican Party in its current form, again, going back to the Southern strategy, has always relied on uh, capitalizing on people's hatred. So maybe that's a delusion. But but there are people in the Republican Party, you know, there are people who have some amount of principle in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. There are some gay Republicans. I mean, I yeah. was at... I was at work during Pride Month and I forget what state it was. I think it might have been Louisiana, but a, a, a local gay elected official who was the first gay elected official in his state and a Republican came into our mm-hmm. office to say hi to me and my boss. And, yeah. and that was a really interesting experience because I, I yeah. think it, it reminded me that it would be better for all of us if we could have a Republican Party that gay and trans people and people of color could feel more comfortable participating mm-hmm. in. Um, and that we would in many ways then move past these issues and we could, we could move on to debating the things that again, I think are really fueling this, which is economic policy and, and trade policy and all the things that go with that. So, yeah. And what you just said reminded me there was a while back or not long ago, there was a video that was going viral on social media. I think it was a Congress person who's a Republican congressperson whose child came out as trans and he gave this very, you know, very moving speech about how he really didn't understand at first and now he supports his child. And it made me think, you know, I think that Republicans are much less, I'm sorry, but people who are more conservative are much less likely to have their kids come out to them because they're terrified. They're not less likely to have trans kids, right? But when there are these unique situations where a trans kid or an LGBTQ youth comes out to their Republican parents, there are these glimmers of hope stories where those, Debbie Jackson is another one of those. She's very much in the public eye and her and her daughter, trans daughter, have been in documentaries and she started out as like a super conservative Christian Southern person. And now she's like one of the biggest parent advocates on the scene. Everybody's seen her. Um, So you're right. I want to validate that. I want to reinforce that, that it's not exclusive. It's not like we, we don't exclude you if you are Republican or conservative. I want to still support LGBTQ. 
LGBTQ rights. We just want you to see that politically in terms of policy and the political landscape, the Republican Party and the Conservative Party does not by and large support LGBTQ rights. And they're, they're, the Republican Party is actively working to, you know, constantly drive legislation. If you look at the legislation tracker, it's like hundreds and hundreds of pieces of legislation being proposed at any given time that are anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, right? And so that is coming from the Republican Party entirely. So we just want to be truthful about that and say, hey, if you want to say you're Republican and you're supportive of LGBTQ rights, great, but look at the legislation your party is passing, look at, you know, look at what they're doing and all the harm of working to make um, necessary and, and rightful healthcare unavailable to trans people. It's, you know, but again, we talked about that in two podcasts, uh, several podcast episodes previously. So please go back and check those out. Well, and I, I think there's some interesting context and history here in the Republican Party, too. Um, after losing the 2008 and 2012 elections, they did this rigorous internal autopsy. You can, you can look it up. It's I'm sure it's still online somewhere. And, and the conclusion of the autopsy that they did on the party was that they had to change. They had to be more inclusive. They had to find a way to get people of color and more diverse, younger people involved in the party and supporting Republicans. And that was the conclusion of that autopsy. And then they proceeded to go in the exact opposite direction in 2016. Mm. And it's important to note what happened there and, and that really how that shapes where the Republican Party is on all of these, on so many of these issues today, because the assumption of that autopsy was that they had to operate in a democracy. What Trump did that undermined that, I mean, that, that autopsy was correct under the assumption that we would continue to have free and fair, you know, mostly free and fair elections in the United States. <laughs> that is no longer the case after four years of Trump being president and completely undermining our democratic norms and institutions. Um, and, and that again, reflects a trend throughout human history of authoritarian leaders leveraging these, these, you know, wedge issues, these social issues, bodily autonomy issues, whatever you want to call them to take power and to undo democracy. And, and, and that is really scary. Um, yeah. And I think that's why, that's why we're speaking in these dire terms and, mm -hmm. and the people in the, the reasonable people in the Republican Party, even the ones who are not reasonable in their public personas, but are reasonable people behind the scenes, they know this. They just have no conscience. Yeah. Yep. So I would really ask you, if you're still with us, it's probably not likely, and you're a, you know, really conservative and Republican, just really look at the policies and really look at what they're pushing for and really ask, like, how is anything that they're doing helping you and people you love and people you know? Because I just don't think you're going to find much. You know, I, I think the conservative party has always been out for the 1% or the 1% of the 1%, right? I'm sorry, but there's plenty of evidence for this. You know, they're, they're out for white, male, Christian, educated people who have a lot of wealth and a lot of power and privilege already. And that's not going to be most of us. It's not going to be most of you. And they're actively taking away the rights of people in the vast majority of, of humanity and all of the other, you know, people 
that are, do not fit into that tiny category. And if you look at all the policies being proposed, if you look at who's getting tax cuts, if you look at businesses getting incredible tax breaks and not having to pay any taxes and it's getting worse. It's not getting better under <laughs> Republican policies. Like there's nothing to suggest that Republicans are taking care of the people who most need support and help. They're taking care of the ultra wealthy only. Yeah. And, and again, I will say, cause I, I think it's important to note that complicated things are complicated and seemingly conflicted things can be true at the same time. So it is true that the Democratic Party needs to really look at ourselves and figure out a way to lead by example. It is also true that Democratic states and Democratic-run cities have social safety nets that ensure a quality of life, ensure everything from lower maternal mortality rates to giving everyone health care like we do here in San Francisco and California um, through the San Francisco Health Network and through Medi-Cal. There are so many things that Democrats do because we feel a moral obligation to that Republicans just don't. And, And I think it's important to note that while we have a long way to go in the Democratic Party and while we have you know, failed, um, for lack of a better term, to communicate and to uh, convince and to actually provide something that would give working class voters a reason to support Democrats. I think it's also important to note that um, there's still a world of difference between the parties as they are. And and I think the Democratic Party is capable of moving further in that direction um, and hopefully maybe having a younger candidate who is, you know, of of a slightly different mindset than some of the previous presidential candidates that we've, that we've put forward in recent years. And 2024 would be nice, but of course that will be, um, you know. Well, you know what, since you mentioned that, Jackie, you know, sometimes I'll just be really blunt and say, sometimes my only hope is that a few generations down the road, all these people are going to die off because your age generation is by and large very liberal and very democratic and very much about social justice and equity and diversity and LGBTQ rights, all the things we talk about. So what do you see happen? I mean, I know there's also a small population of younger people that you know, is this ultra conservative, you know, and believing some of these outlandish things that have no basis in reality, like the QAnon. But what do you think about that? I would like to believe that um, people's views are fluid and mm-hmm. politics is complicated and political parties evolve over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot of different ways that could play out. Um, I think yeah. that demographics you know, eight years ago, we're working a lot less in favor of the Republican Party. Um, They're still not working in favor of the Republican Party, but those dynamics have shifted in some ways that they've actually, they've improved um, a bit. Ironically, ironically, you you go all the way back to that autopsy and then Trump and everything. And somehow, somehow at the end of it, um, the Republican Party has actually, uh, the demographics have shifted. Um, yep, I and, know. And, and so I, it would be nice, but I wouldn't bet. I don't think we can bet on it. I think that's a ways down the road. And I, I think that it would be this the same way that it was naive for Hillary Clinton to not go to Michigan until like the week before the election. I think it would be very naive for us to think that that would be the case and to yeah. rely, rely on that because we have, 
resting on our laurels and believing that things are will inevitably work out in our favor has not right a successful well, strategy. I far. hear you, and and I agree with you, and that wasn't what I was suggesting. I guess I'm just trying to hold on. I wasn't suggesting it as a way of like just giving up and saying, well, we'll just let, hopefully yeah. let the generations yeah. die off, but hoping that that might help. We all need to be active politically as well and, and doing the work we can while we're here on the planet, which is a short time. But I also do have hope that the younger generations who seem to me to be much more, at least social justice minded, I think there's a real difference there. I think there's a real difference. And I think you'll see other issues will persist. Economic issues will Mm -hmm. persist. Other, Mm -hmm. other wedge issues will arise. Mm -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. but I think that in general issues like trans rights and LGBT rights and abortion rights, hopefully will change. But again, the concern is with institutions like the Supreme court that are so anti-democratic and that are, not accountable to anyone and they have these lifetime appointments. It's like, I know. I mean, a majority of the country, a vast majority of the country already believes in everything that we're saying and already right. votes for Democrats. So yeah. how big does that majority have to get before the institutions actually reflect that? And if the institutions are becoming less democratic, then I, I just worry that we're going to, we're going to keep chasing that and, and it, it will be hard to achieve. So I think, I think we really have to tackle these core issues. I think we really have to, again, you know, put forward a more, a more compelling vision as the democratic party, a more like, and I'm just listing the candidates I donated to, but a more like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, like Elizabeth Warren, um, Bernie Sanders kind of candidate ha- has mm-hmm. to be the way forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or Joaquin Castro, apologies. Um, I was going to say Joaquin Phoenix. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, f- I found Joaquin Castro very compelling. I-, I think a younger candidate in a lot of ways is very, if we're trying to activate younger people and we're trying to make younger people think that the Democratic Party will represent them and it's, you know, it's, it, we can't keep nominating old white men. <laughs> like, yes, I'm with you. Absolutely. Well, Jackie, when, Apologies when are you, <laughs> you going to run for office, Jackie? <laughs> Never, never. Um, but I will <laughs> never say doing, never. <laughs> I will continue doing this. I will continue trying to advocate for for what we believe in. Because I know you I will. Think that however bad it gets, you know, there's there's no reason to give up. Giving up will only make it worse. Exactly. Thank you for saying that because that's the. I think that's the message, the ultimate message we want to leave everybody with. And Jackie and I could probably sit and talk more about this for hours, and we will on our own without you as the audience because we do. And I learned so much from Jackie always, so I'm very thankful to you, Jackie, for taking the lead on this one. I did nothing to prepare. You came having done a lot of research and bringing your own knowledge and experience and wisdom to the table. You know a lot about you way more than I could ever hope to know about all of this. So I really hope that everybody listening or watching learned something and was moved to do something in some way. Nothing is too small. (laughs) You know, take a step. Think about what you can do in your local area. You know, Jackie said, you know, find out who your representatives are. We have elections coming up. You can make a difference. You really can. And you could, you could, 
you may only have a little bit of time, but if you use that time the right way, if it's an hour here or there and you can do phone banking or whatever, Jackie's taught me how to do phone calling and I've knocked on doors with Jackie or for Jackie and her campaigns. And I never would have imagined I'd be doing those things, but it actually feels really good because you know you're doing something. And as Jackie said, you're not just sitting around feeling depressed about how dark the situation is. There are things you can do. So thank you for listening. Any final thoughts, Jackie? I will just say, you know, for those of you, you should know who your state representative is, especially if you're living in an area where that, where they might be, you know, on the fence or making decisions about how to vote on these issues. And for those of you, because I've, I've looked at our data, I know a lot of you are in blue cities or states who are listening. So if that's you, there's still a lot you can do again donating to and volunteering your time to support organizations at the national, state, local level that are doing this work. Organizations like the Transgender Law Center, the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, the National Network of Abortion Funds, and so, so many others, um, many of which we have listed on our website at transgenderschool.org. So you can still do a lot. You're not off the hook just because you're in a blue city or a blue state. Please try to do something. Thank you for that reminder, Jackie. I think you will have an impact. I think people will hear your words and, you know, hopefully be moved to do something. So thank you for listening. Please don't send us hate mail. <laughs> Just be a nice Jackie Thornhill person. 97 at gmail.com. Okay. I guess Jackie want, welcomes whatever input you have. She may or may not answer your emails. Sometimes she doesn't answer mine either. So if you're lucky enough to get a response, that means that you somehow sparked something that Jackie wanted to respond to. So good luck with that. <laughs> and I've, I love I've, you, I've Jackie. I'm so proud of you, Jackie. I am. I know that so many people write to me and say, you must be so proud of Jackie. And so many people have written and said, you know, oh, you and Jackie are great, but boy, Jackie's amazing. She's so smart. And when she speaks up, I really listen up. So I'm very thankful to you, Jackie, that you really took the time to prepare and you took the lead today. And and we should do that more. <laughs> as, Anytime. As the world continues to go into interesting new phases and you have a lot to teach us all. So thank you for today and thank you for being you and bringing all of this important information to us. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our Transgender School podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching. Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month. 